Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As promised, this is Overreaction Monday, but it's on a Tuesday, so I I, I got some explaining to do. I On Friday's episode of the show where I gave you guys a couple gambling tips, I gave you guys a couple of picks, which not a great gambling weekend football-wise, but we'll get into it. Yesterday, I spent most of my day watching NFL Red Zone with a couple of my friends, uh, Came back from my friend's house, was kind of laying in bed, just watching the 4 o'clock games on Red Zone. Got a text about 5.50 in the afternoon asking if I wanted to go to the Met game and the Mets playing the Yankees last game in the Subway Series. And I was going to text no, and then I said, "Well, well, how much do I owe you for the tickets? And then my friend said, no, they're free, they're free. We got them for free, we won't ask you for anything. So I get dressed, get get my act together, take two Advil, still with a headache from the day before, go to the game, see Francisco Lindor hit the three home runs, took us 40 minutes to get out of the City Field parking lot to get on the Grand Central coming back home, did not get home till about 2.15 in the morning, hence no Overreaction Monday podcast for me yesterday, I spent most of my Monday sleeping, trying to get my body clock somewhat rectified, because I've been doing too many of the six-hour six hours or less of sleep per night gonna try and get that better gotta get sleep helps because going through every day with a headache is fucking miserable so before we get to today's show we'll do housekeeping we'll take care of the ledger from friday and then we'll get into overreaction monday for football from the college and nfl ranks so before we get to the recap of the weekend Got our mind, everyone, to help support the show. If you're listening to the show already, you likely found the show on social media. But if you haven't used social media to interact with the show, please, 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 Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. We're present on all those platforms. Got to produce more things to go on the other ones. But we're there at Upper Bowl GM Podcast pretty much on all those platforms. Subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting platform you prefer, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever platform you like to use, this podcast is available there. If you have an Apple device and are using Apple Podcasts to listen to the show because Apple controls the known universe, please leave a review. You go to the show's page, you scroll past our recent episodes, there are going to be five clear purple stars. You want to hit the one furthest to the right, that's leaving a five-star review. Beneath that is a button with purple letters that says, write a review. If you have the inclination, you have a couple minutes... Please leave a few words of encouragement. Support your content creators. That shit matters. Once we get to 20 reviews on Apple Podcasts, we will do some kind of giveaway. Got to figure out what jersey or hat I'll give away, but I'll do something small for 20 reviews on Apple Podcasts. So, on Friday's pod, I gave you guys three NFL picks. I didn't give you any college because I didn't have a good feel for the board. I gave you a teaser, the Rams and 49ers, which pretty much everybody gave. Pretty much anybody who's from... who likes using teasers to solidify their football weekend gave you i give you the browns as a money line underdog they should have won that game they let it slip away from them and mahomes was mahomes and then i gave you bills and i gave you the bills minus a half denver giants under 47 and a half just i i was wrong on the bills i thought the steelers were going to come out pretty flat and they came out a little bit less flat than the Bills did. The Bills did not look particularly good, but those were our three picks. We'll try and do better next week. I will see you guys in one second, and we will talk about some football.
with that, we will get on into the football recap of the weekend. I'm not going to spend that much time on college because I'll be honest with you, I spent most of my Saturday with my friends watching the Oregon-Ohio State game. I watched the first half of the Penn State-Bowl State game. Had to get on the train back from the city, come home. Watched a little bit of the 7 o'clock kickoffs, a little bit of the Michigan-Washington game, but I was just too tired. I had to get up pretty early on Saturday to go into the city to meet my friends. Had to get up at like 7.30, less than ideal. Very tiring day. Got to sleep in a little bit, wake up kind of early on Sunday morning, watch the Formula One race, take a little nap, then go watch Red Zone. Then I ended up going to the Met game. It's been a roller coaster couple days. Say yes to plans is all I'm going to say. You never know what's going to happen when you ha- say yes to hanging out with people. Good things will happen, like get to see Lindor hit three home runs. So college-wise, I was very impressed with Oregon's game plan. Typically, when we've seen Oregon play against teams that have comparable athleticism, they struggle. Oregon is an east-west team where they're going to want to get the ball to the perimeter, make guys miss, and get the ball game off to the races, try and win a track meet. Against an Ohio State, an Alabama, a Georgia, when we've seen Oklahoma, excuse me, Oklahoma, Oregon, play a team with comparable athleticism, they've had a hard time moving the ball on offense. Oregon did that pretty well. Ohio State's defense is not as good as it's been in years past. Did not particularly like what I saw from Ohio State's offense and C.J. Stroud. Ryan Day aggressive in terms of going for it on fourth down, but there was something off with the play calling from Ohio State there. It just wasn't that pretty, to be honest with you. Penn State took care of Ball State. Texas came out really flat against an Arkansas team that I didn't think was particularly good. Uh, I thought Sark would just keep it rolling, but not pretty. Not pretty. Iowa took care of Iowa State. My Iowa State to win the Big 12 dreams are probably dead, but maybe they can beat Oklahoma. They beat Texas. and they You get you can get into the Big 12 title game with one loss, and then you just got to beat Oklahoma a second time. But eh. What can you do? Alabama, I know Nick Saban is kind of mad. They gave up 14 points to Mercer, which is very funny, but shit like that happens in college football. When you're playing certain types of teams, you got to be careful when you're playing a triple option offense. You're not going to be able to score as many points as you typically would. You don't practice as much against that type of offense because it's so uncommon. So your guys are going to be a little bit less prepared. That's about it. All I got for you for college from last weekend because I won't talk about things I didn't watch because I'm not full of shit like some of the people you see on TV, other podcasts, other radio shows. I'm not Colin Cowherd or Stephen A. who's going to come on their show after watching three games all weekend and pretend I watched every single game. I'm not about that. Never have been, never will be. So NFL-wise, watch all the 1 o'clock games, watch the first half of all the 4 o'clock games, and then caught up on primetime, read some game stories, got got a good feel for the 4 o'clock games. Sunday Night Football, I watched a little bit of in the section we were in. There were TVs where we were able to watch some of the Rams-Bears game while we were at the Met game. It was very nice. There was a window to watch the game out on the field and then a TV screen right next to it to keep an eye on both. That was very helpful. But I'll start with the most exciting game of the day, which to me was the Chiefs and Browns. And the Browns came out in that first half and played about as perfect a first half of football as you could play. I loved their aggressiveness going for it on fourth down. Stefanski going for two when they scored that first touchdown. Knowing that every single time you had the ball, you were going to have to score some points if you wanted to win that game. And that game came apart for the Browns on two plays. 
Blake, uh, not Blake Gilligan, that's the Penn State punter. Jamie Gillen, the Browns punter, muffing the snap, panicking, trying to scramble as opposed to just firing off a quick kick, giving the Chiefs excellent field position. And then I was watching Red Zone in the car on the way to the game, sitting in traffic on the Palisades, and Baker, I ride for Baker. He's one of my favorite college players ever. He's just got to eat that sack there on first and 10 on the last possession of the game. A minute 10 to go. You still got one timeout. Baker's got to eat that sack instead of trying to force that ball to the sideline. I know he thought he had Harrison Bryant. He was getting tackled from behind. It was not going to be an accurate throw because he didn't have his legs under him. Baker's got to know better than that. But I'll say this. The Browns are as deep and well-coached as any team in the league what we saw from them yesterday is how you're going to beat Kansas City. If anyone beats Kansas City this year, it's going to be using a game plan of a similar vein where you're going to aggressively use play action But once you've established the run because it's going to get the safeties and linebackers to bite down. It'll give your wide receivers better opportunities in one-on-one situations because the other team is going to load up the box to try and stop you from running the ball. And make no mistake, the Browns have a good one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in the entire league. So they're going to be able to aggressively prosecute the offensive game plan they have and impose their will and they did that and then in the second half they I wouldn't say they full-on turtled but I would say they weren't as aggressive in terms of passing when they needed to I know they trust Chubb and Kareem Hunt that is the best one-two running back tandem in the league but I would have liked to have seen the Browns be a little bit more aggressive in terms of offense. I know they didn't have Odell. I like that they got Anthony Schwartz involved. I like that they're still getting Peoples Jones involved. But if you're not going to have Odell in there, the offense, it went through Jarvis Landry last year. I know Jarvis is a slot receiver and, you know, he's going to be good between the hashes, third and mediums, because he's going to be on a safety or a linebacker or a nickel corner and he's going to be able to use either his speed or his physicality to get open. I wish the Browns were more aggressive and they won that game because I'm very high on the Browns. I still think the Browns are going to win the AFC North even though they came out of the gate and lost today. In my week-by-week predictions, I gave them a loss today, and I still had them finish with 13 wins. That also was with splits with both Baltimore and Pittsburgh, so that gives you a sense of how high I think of the Cleveland Browns. The next game on my list I want to talk about, not the most like intriguing matchup, but what the hell happened to the Titans? I, I know Taylor Lewan is coming off an ACL, and that was his first NFL action in eight, nine months, but they made Chandler Jones look like Lawrence Taylor, and no disrespect to Chandler Jones, but no, no defensive lineman is getting five sacks if there is not something fundamentally wrong with what the team on offense is doing, whether it be a overmatched offensive lineman, whether them not recognizing something in scheme, whatever... You don't get five sacks in a game without the offense doing you some favors. And yes, Chandler Jones had the benefit was the benefit of having J.J. Watt on the opposite side. And they were opting, the Titans, to chip on that side with the tight end, trying to chip at Watt, and leaving Chandler Jones on an island opposite Taylor Luan. And Taylor Luan got his spot blown up a lot. Ryan Tannehill was uncomfortable that entire game. I believe the Cardinals had seven sacks as a team. I liked the way Kyler Murray looked. I know a couple weeks ago when I did my NFL preview show, I said I was kind of low on the Cardinals because I wasn't sure of how high a ceiling Kyler Murray had. I cited the performance he had on Monday Night Football against the Cowboys when he went 9 for 24 and had less than 200 yards passing and they still won the game and ESPN acted like he was incredible. 
Hand up, I was wrong. Kyler Murray looked tremendous yesterday. Yes, the Tennessee defense is bad. Like, just objectively, the Titans' defense is bad. I know they have this reputation of being this hard-nosed, smash-mouth team because of Vrabel and Derrick Henry. That defense is pretty bad. Kyler Murray was cooking out there. DeAndre Hopkins, two touchdowns. Christian Kirk had a pair of touchdowns. Um, Rondell Moore had a touchdown. The Cardinals looked pretty damn fluid. They were moving the ball around. Kyler Murray was making things happen with his legs. That one play that used to happen in Madden where the quarterback would just keep rolling around until he could find an open receiver downfield that only worked in Madden because there was no physics. Kyler Murray made it happen in real life because he defies the laws of physics. He's so agile and fast. Very intriguing stuff from Murray. He made a lot of quality throws, finding guys in tight windows, hitting receivers who weren't the most open. That's what you need to see if you are Arizona. You need Kyler Murray to be an elite passer. You can get to the playoffs with a running quarterback, but once you get there, if you're not going to be able to throw the ball with effectiveness and efficiency, you are going to have a defined ceiling because if your default is to run, you are going to run out of options once you get to certain parts of the field because the other team is not going to respect your ability to pass. They'll leave your receivers and man coverage on the outside. That's what the Titans did. A lot of man coverage allowed Kyler Murray to float around. Titans need, need, need to figure out that defense. Derrick Henry did not look particularly good. I believe he only had nine yards rushing in the first half. Arizona bottled up the run pretty early. The Titans had to throw a lot more. And because Henry does not catch a lot of passes, he's not in there in those passing situations. And you can get Derrick Henry out of the game if you can get a lead because Tennessee has to chase points. Next, a weird one that turned out entertaining the Vikings and the Bengals I was not particularly high on the Bengals coming into the season I figured it would take Joe Burrow a little while to get into some kind of rhythm you know coming off of that injury and he didn't have the easiest game back there uh, the Vikings for as poor as their corners are they can still get after the passer bottle up the box make it hard to move the ball through the middle part of the field but you saw really good stuff from T. Higgins. I think T. Higgins had the best game of the three Bengal receivers yesterday. I know Jamar Chase had the long touchdown. Uh, I forget which podcast I was listening to on Monday afternoon when I was trying to upload more information to my brain that I had missed. I forget. I think it was the Ringer NFL show. It might have been Nate Tice mentioned that Jamar Chase was only effective in that game when he wasn't being press covered. When he was able to just run past the corner that was near him, he was able to get open. But in situations where the Viking corners were pressing him, he was having a hard time getting a release off of the line and wasn't able to get open. T. Higgins was doing some nice things where he was getting himself open against the Vikings' best corner. And the Bengals are going to play teams with better corners, and it's not going to be as easy for the Bengals to move the ball to the outside. But what you like from Joe Burrow is how fast he processes the game. And he's going to have to keep processing the game that fast because the Bengals cannot block. And we talked about it all offseason about taking Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase with that, that fifth or sixth overall pick. I believe it was the sixth overall pick now, but you really got to do a better job. And Burrow is going to, it's going to be on Burrow to get the ball out fast, not to hold on to the ball too long. I know that's something that Russell Wilson, as good as Russell Wilson is, is guilty of where he will hold on to the ball too long because he's trying to make a play happen, give his receivers to get time to get open down the field. Burrow gets the ball out quickly. That is when the Bengals will be successful. The Bengals have 
the potential to be an explosive offense. They have quality personnel on the outside. They just don't have an offensive line of any quality, to be quite honest. Uh, they drafted Jonah Williams, I believe, three years ago now, two years ago now, and, you know, not a ton of success on that left tackle there. Uh, the Vikings' offense could not really get anything going against the Bengals' defense. That's pretty much just Jesse Bates and Trey Hendrickson. Other than that, there's not a lot of name-brand guys on that defense. I know they signed Mike Hilton. I know they signed a couple of other free agents, tried to throw money at the problem. Don't know how much that really made a difference. But one game, I liked what I saw out of Burrow. I am a Joe Burrow guy. It's the between-the-ear stuff with Burrow that is what makes him an interesting prospect. Not the best arm talent, not the fastest runner of the ball. Really good at processing what's in front of him and finding his open read as quickly as possible. That clapping is for Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers, getting his first coaching win in the NFL. My entire football-watching life, the Chargers have found a way to lose that game, whether it was a Ken Wisenhunt with Marty Schottenheimer, with Mike McCoy, with Anthony Lynn. Brandon Staley found a way to win a one-score game against a team with a good pass rush. Kudos to Brandon Staley and the Chargers for winning a game that any of the last 10 years the Chargers would have lost, no matter how talented the team they are, the team how talented the Chargers were, or the team they are playing is. Finally... The Chargers had a situation where it came down to the last possession, and I had a little bit of confidence because I know Brandon Staley could do it. In fact, I was watching the game with one of my Charger fan friends, Trevor, and we were talking like, okay, how many more plays do they got to run? And we didn't realize that out of the two-minute warning, all they had to do was kneel the ball down. And my friend goes, yeah, I like that formation. I haven't seen that formation in a while. It was nice to see the Chargers in control of that game. Justin Herbert is for real. The arm talent is there. You saw them do some really interesting things with Mike Williams on the outside. Keenan Allen is a treat, as always. Jared Cook with a really nice touchdown. Not a ton of production out of Austin Eckler. Uh, concerning, if you are an Austin Eckler fantasy owner, I know he went in the back end of the first round in a lot of drafts. Not the most encouraging workload from him, especially considering how little he was used in the passing game, which is something we'd seen in the past, but... Kudos to Rashawn Slater, the Northwestern product. Not a single quarterback pressure allowed on a field where Chase Young and Montez Sweat were on the opposite side. That Washington pass rush is very good. Their corners are not incredible. If you can hold up against their pass rush, your receivers will have an opportunity to get open. But I liked a lot of what I saw from the Chargers putting... Mike Williams in those 3 by one or 4 by one situations where he would be the only receiver on one side of the field and then the tight end, the running backs, and the other receivers would be on the opposite side. And in effect, you're creating a mismatch. You're putting one guy on one guy on that left-hand side of the field or the right-hand side of the field, whichever one you want to do. And in that situation, it's going to be a lot more difficult for that defensive back to make a play, because if he falls down, he makes a mistake, it's going for a big play. That is why I love those 3 by one and 4 by one concepts. I mean, there's a reason they ran it with Tweeter at the end of Varsity Blues. 
Shout out high school football coach Paul Walker. Pour one out for high school football coach Paul Walker identifying the numbers game that is football where if you have one guy on one guy on one side of the field, there's going to be a lot of space for that guy to make a play. We saw them score a touchdown with that concept. We saw them pick up a number of first downs with that concept. Very happy to see that a talented Chargers team might finally have an adult in the room to lead them to the right outcomes. The next game I want to touch on, I'll go with a Buffalo to talk about them in Pittsburgh. Uh, I came into this year a little hesitant on Josh Allen, specifically because I just I wanted to see him do what he did last year again. He made all the throws. He eliminated the mental processing errors. He got better habits for handling the football. And you saw 2019 Josh Allen yesterday. Excuse me, Mon- Sunday, because you're going to be listening to this on Tuesday. You saw 2019 Josh Allen the, on Sunday because he had a really bad habit of when the play broke down of not having the ball in a position to throw. And what I mean by that is he was dropping his shoulders. He was dropping the ball lower towards his waist. And think about it right now. Put two hands in front of you like you're holding a football if you're standing up. And think about where the ball has to go if the ball is at your waist. Because you have to rotate your arm all the way back up to get the ball above your head. That's a lot more time than it would be if you had the ball in a throwing position all the way up by your neck area or your numbers area where you have a less distanced, shorter, yeah, not less distance, where you would have a shorter throwing motion. And that was something we saw Allen doing yesterday because that Pittsburgh pass rush was giving him fits. Whether it was TJ Watt with the strip sack, whether it was them blitzing Minka Fitzpatrick, there was some really, really good stuff from the Pittsburgh defense that kept them in that game. Because don't forget, it was 10-0 at one point in that game in favor of Buffalo, even though Buffalo wasn't really moving the ball with any real consistency. They were winning that game 10-0, and if they could have gotten one more touchdown, one more field goal, they very easily could have changed the outcome of that game because Pittsburgh didn't look good. A couple, two big plays to chase Claypool. A Deontay Johnson catch that was very nice against quality defensive coverage. I didn't like what I saw from that offensive line. They were not giving Ben a ton of time. Penn, I still don't think Ben is in that top 16 quarterbacks in the league. I think he's probably a bottom half of the league starter at this point. It's going to be more about what he can do in terms of his decision-making as opposed to his physical attributes because at this point, his arm talent just isn't there. I want to see Pittsburgh be more aggressive. One of the recurring themes you're going to pick up during football season is teams that are passive on first and second down where they wait for third down to try and pick up a chunk of yards to get the first down as opposed to doing it right out of the gate. I know they drafted Najee Harris in the first round. I disagreed with it based on just the needs that Pittsburgh has. Their offensive line is a real problem. I know Mike Tomlin likes playing defense and trying to run the ball. If you can't block, you can't run the ball. I hate to tell you, no matter how good the running back is. And we'll talk about Saquon Barkley and the Giants in a little bit. But did not particularly like what I saw from either of those teams. Pittsburgh was just able to survive at the end of that game to win. Buffalo had an opportunity. Buffalo, I imagine, will ultimately be fine. Not a lot of teams in the NFL are as talented on the defensive side of the ball as Pittsburgh is. So I'm not going to panic yet about Buffalo, but... 
bad habits from Josh Allen, you got to make sure that's just, you know, a one-game apparition as opposed to trends. Because if he starts running with the ball at his waist, trying to do everything with his legs as opposed to, you know, taking a deep breath, looking for whether it be Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Gabe Davis, Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, whoever he's looking for, just get the ball out. Josh, don't be trying to be a hero unless that's the play call. And one element of Buffalo's game that I didn't particularly like, anytime they wanted to run the ball, it was a Josh Allen run. And yes, Josh Allen is an effective runner of the football. Just purely from a defensive standpoint, if the other team knows you're going to be doing something and makes their life easier, you gotta find some kind of regular running situation with Singletary or Zach Moss, who I know was a healthy scratch on Sunday. I'll get it out of the way. Uh, the Giants look like shit on offense. Daniel Jones, another killer turnover at a point in the game when they still had a chance. It was nice to see Sterling Shepard make a big play, score a touchdown. Nothing in production from Kenny Dolliday or Kadarius Toney. A couple targets for Evan Ingram. Just Ethan, my boss at Gotham, said it on NYG Weekly, which should be out either today, Tuesday when you're listening. Yeah, it'll definitely be out Tuesday because I edited it on Monday. Jason Garrett coaches the Giants offense like it's the 2016 Cowboys, which is the last good team Jason Garrett was in charge of, where he ran on first and second down because he had rookie Ezekiel Elliott and four Pro Bowl offensive linemen and a quarterback who can make high-level throws and quality wide receivers. And the Giants can't block, so Saquon Barkley is at a disadvantage already compared to Ezekiel Elliott. And Saquon is a different kind of running back from Zeke. Zeke is a, well, good Zeke. A couple years ago, Ezekiel Elliott was able to run between the tackles for four or five yards a clip. That is not Saquon Barkley's game. It has never been Saquon Barkley's game. Saquon Barkley is an outside zone, one-cut running back where he's got to get the ball to where he is in a one-on-one or two-on-one situation and he makes the defenders miss and he gets off to the races. He's a home run hitter. And I made this comparison when I was talking to one of my friends the other day. He's He's a Joey Gallo. If you're familiar with baseball, the Yankees traded for Joey Gallo at the trade deadline. He's hitting like 195, but he also has 30-something home runs. That's what Saquon Barkley is. He is going to have ugly stat lines in games where he does not break off the big home run. You live with those ugly stat lines because he breaks off the big home run. And now, I know Saquon was on a snap count, only 20, 20 plays, but... If you are only going to be able to dress him for twenty, only use him for twenty plays, you shouldn't have played. Just point blank, you wasted the plays he was in the game for. He did not look particularly comfortable. The offensive line was not ready for that Denver pass rush, and just not enough aggressiveness in passing. Obvious passing situations from the Giants. They just, it's painful to watch the Giants try and play offense because they don't have plays. They have ideas. They have two guys go to the same spot, and neither is open because two defenders go with them. They run stick on third and six, where the tight end just turns around as soon as they get to the marker, and then they get body blocked out of position and they can't make a play on the ball. It's just frustrating, to say the least. Next? What the hell happened to the Colts, man? I knew I didn't think Carson Wentz was going to be that good. But shit, did Seattle body bag them going up and down that field the other on Sunday. Good lord. And Seattle didn't look particularly good running the ball or passing the ball. I mean, Russell Wilson, I think at one point, only had seven passing attempts at the end of the first quarter. Something like that. And 
when Seattle's cooking on offense, it's the deep balls to DK Metcalf, to Tyler Lockett. Gerald Everett had a touchdown, the former Rams tight end there in Seattle. Really good stuff from Seattle, and the Colts just couldn't get anything going on offense because Wentz was running for his life because Seattle doesn't have a good defense. The, the days of Seattle and the Legion of Boom are long gone. Bobby Wagner is like the only player still there from the de- that time frame. Didn't like what I saw out of the Colts. The Colts, I think, are probably a 6-7 or seven win team. I am worried about the Colts and Frank Reich and Jonathan Taylor because I own a lot of Jonathan Taylor stock in fantasy. Very worried about Jonathan Taylor and the Colts. There's time. They have easy divisional matchups. They can probably limp to nine wins if they can play defense and run the ball with some effectiveness. Another really convincing result, the Eagles over the Falcons, which was... I I went into that game. I expected Atlanta to win, but I didn't think Philly was going to be horrendous. I think I gave Philly five or six wins. I thought Philly would be just about a little below average. I didn't think they'd be horrendous, but they controlled the line of scrimmage. Atlanta settled for field goals its first two possessions when it got down to the red zone as opposed to going for touchdowns. And those were the only points the uh, Falcons scored, 32-6. to Philly was moving the ball. Philly's offensive line was blocking well. Miles Sanders was getting the ball in space. Devontae Smith had the nice touchdown run when Zach Ertz chip blocked for him. Dallas Goddard had a couple nice catches. Jalen Rieger had a nice stat line. The Eagles might be able to be decent by controlling the line of scrimmage. I know that's very cliche football guy talk, and I hate doing that, but you control the lines of scrimmage on offense and defense, you're going to give your outside guys and your quarterback a chance to make a play. That's some good shit. The Eagles were pretty damn good, and Hurts looked fine. I know uh, last week or the week before when I did the preview episode, I kind of lamented Jalen Hurts' inaccuracy as a passer at the NFL level, and he's got to be, you know, he can't do what he did last year in the spurts he got where he was 55-ish percent completion, so that's just not going to fly in the NFL today. If he can run like that and pass like that behind that offensive line, Eagles might be able to be eight wins or nine wins as opposed to six or seven, which would be a good step for Sirianni in that first year there because the Eagles, this is a throwaway year for the Eagles. We know the Eagles aren't supposed to be that good. Shocking game of the day? Weird game of the day? Uh, Detroit coming back from 38-10 to make San Francisco sweat it out at the end? Uh, I am a Kyle Shanahan guy, but at times Kyle does get a little too cute in these games where he's got a big lead and they just don't close the door. And thank God Jared Goff is kind of a bozo. Otherwise, I'd be very sad for George Kittle because a decent quarterback would have gotten the Lions down the field to score there at the end of the game. And Kittle had the onside kick bounce off of his face mask. San Francisco is going to drive everyone nuts all year in fantasy for fantasy reasons because of the personnel they have and just the kind of mind Kyle Shanahan is where he's going to be playing matchups. He's going to be riding hot hands, even though hot hand isn't a real statistical thing. It is a thing in the short term, especially for football coaches. You liked what you saw out of Elijah Mitchell. He most are getting hurt less than ideal. Not a lot of work for Brandon Ayuk. Debo Samuel had himself a game. I believe Debo Samuel was wide receiver one in fantasy over the weekend. Something like 37, 38 points, a pair of touchdowns, a couple of really big plays. I've been a Debo Samuel guy since he came out of South Carolina. Really good yard after the catch guy. 
the, the comparison I always like to make is that you want wide receivers like him that are running backs once they have the ball in their hands where they're not afraid of contact. They'll put their head down. They'll go through someone. They'll make someone miss. Really good stuff from the 49ers offense in the first half. They got too lackadaisical there towards the end. Weren't aggressive enough on offense. Just kind of content to just painfully run out the clock as opposed to aggressively run out, run out the clock. I mean, they were winning that game 38-10 to at one point, and the final score was 41-33. They definitely could have scored a couple more points there as opposed to settling for just one field goal after Detroit started to mount their comeback. In the Dookie games column, uh, what the hell did Green Bay do on Sunday morning? I, that was some Monstars in Space Jam type shit. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen Aaron Rodgers look that bad. Uh, short of games he was playing injured or uh, the game last year against the Buccaneers was pretty bad in Tampa where Green Bay got out to a 10-0 lead and the final score was like 38-10. to uh, The obvious reason, uh, David Bakhtiari not being in at left tackle is a major concern. The Saints were with Marcus Davenport was bringing heat on that side, getting up. In Rodgers' face, Rodgers never really had a ton of time to be comfortable in the pocket and throw. They were not able to get the running game going. Aaron Jones had a really, really difficult time running the ball on the ground. Uh, Really concerned for Green Bay. Uh, This is overreaction Monday on a Tuesday, and I think Green Bay will end up being fine. I don't think Aaron Rodgers lost his ability to play quarterback by being the Jeopardy host for a couple of weeks and complaining a little bit about the state of affairs in Green Bay. You got to see more from the running game. Green Bay, uh, even though they have Aaron Rodgers putting up those gaudy statistics the last two years, he won the MVP last year. They are a run-first team. That is one of the things that's important to understand about that Shanahan derivative offense of the play-action, bootlegs, the design rollouts. All of that stuff that's used to make the quarterback's life easier, all of that stuff is predicated on some semblance of an ability to run the football with an effectiveness. And if Green Bay cannot run the ball, they are going to be less effective as an overall team. I think Green Bay will be fine. That division is going to be horrendous, especially if Minnesota is going to play like we saw them play in week one. I want to see Green Bay come out with some semblance of an agenda. I mean, they're going to play Detroit next week at home. They're 11 and a half point favorites as of Monday afternoon when I was recording, when I got the lines written down and played guess the lines because, you know, got to get an idea of what we're looking at going into next week. But good get right game for Green Bay against Detroit next Sunday. I Excuse me, Monday night. That's Monday night football, Green Bay against Detroit. That's a good opportunity for a get right game against a team with a pretty bad pass defense. Let Rodgers get comfortable. Not going to really be up in his grill as much. But no David Bakhtiari till week six is going to be a problem for Green Bay if the replacements are going to get eat up eaten up as bad as they did yesterday i liked what i saw from the saints on offense they ran the ball with effectiveness Jameis only threw for like 180 yards but he did throw for five touchdowns and that was without any real threats at wide receiver i mean Jawan johnson the penn state oregon product he went to both he transferred from penn state to oregon marcus calloway adam trotman not a whole lot of stuff there in the saints offense that was impressive to be honest with you but shit the saints made it work And I was high on Jameis coming into this year. The Saints are going to put him in a position to succeed. We know that Sean Payton is good at scheming offense and can be good 
at his job when he doesn't weirdly decide Taysom Hill is his guy for no reason other than just personal loyalty or whatever Sean Payton's reasoning is for that. We still really never gotten a great answer on that. The Saints get Carolina next weekend, the divisional matchup on the road. Saints, they get to 2-0. We can start talking about my Saints make the playoffs and maybe push Tampa Bay for that division agenda, which I weirdly felt confident in because I don't really know why I felt so confident in the Saints coming into this year. I mean, the defense is very good, and when Michael Thomas comes back, they'll be fine. They've got a really good offensive line. The bookend tackles, Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramschek, are both very good. They've drafted interior offensive linemen each of the last two years. There's enough personnel on that offensive line. Jameis got LASIK, so he actually can see where he's throwing the ball, which is very nice. I think the Saints might actually be good, not just, like, good. So I'll, I'll, I'll use the middle school analogy. I think the Saints are good, good, and not just good, okay? Not like-like, but like. I think the Saints are actually, I think I like-like the Saints, not just like the Saints, is where I'll put that one. Other games, Miami-New England was just weird. Very defensive special teams. Neither team could really move the ball comfortably. Both quarterbacks had a lot of uncomfortable plays in the pocket. Miami's incredible turnover luck continues. Eventually, it's going to have to turn around, but for now... Miami wins that one. Damian Harris, my poor fantasy stock options, and Damian Harris, that poor man is never going to be heard from again. Belichick does not take kindly to running backs who fumble. James White is going to end up getting 200 rushing attempts just on principle to teach Damian Harris a lesson for those fumbles. Miami, uh, Tua, I, I just don't know, man. I, it's not a ton of sample to draw upon you know seven eight starts is not an nfl career but he gets flushed from the pocket easily he turns his back to the defense too often for someone who's not as fast as lamar jackson he can't really throw receivers open he can hit them if they're open but he can't make them open with his accuracy and that was kind of supposed to be to his thing was he was left-handed drew Brees and it's early, and New England is going to have probably a top 10, 15 defense in the league. So don't go, you know, don't go throwing the baby out with the bathwater yet on Tua, but got to see Miami move the ball a little bit better on offense before I'm going to buy them as better than New England for the course of the season. I still think New England is going to be the second-best team in that division over Miami, but a little bit closer, a little bit closer than maybe I had thought. And... The last two games I have to touch on before I just wrap up, start looking ahead towards next week. Jets and Carolina was just a horrendous football game to watch. Both teams were very uncomfortable on offense. Yes, the, the Panthers managed to score 19 points. Uh, it never really felt as close as 19-14. I know the Jets got the one touchdown in garbage time. The one prop bet I made on Saturday when on my way into the city when I was on the train was Robbie Anderson anytime touchdown. Felt that was a lock against the Jets secondary that has no proven NFL corners. Uh, Bryce Hall, their most experienced NFL corner, was a rookie last year and only played in, I think, five or six games. Jets are going to have a hard time this year. Just point blank, they are going to have a hard time this year. I They did eventually settle down a little bit in the second half, be able to move the ball with a little bit more frequency. But Zach Wilson was running for his life, trying to throw people open. And Carolina's defense is 
decent. I think the pass rushers are pretty good. I don't really think Dante Jackson and the other corners and the safeties are that good. So for the Jets to struggle that much, that's not great. Granted, Brian Burns coming at you on the... Uh, Brian Burns is a scary pass rusher, one of the better young pass rushers in the game today. Jeremy Chen's a good safety back there hovering around the box. The Jets need Mekhi Becton to be healthy. I know he's supposed to miss five to six weeks, I believe, was the diagnosis I saw, where he dislocated his kneecap and it popped back into place weirdly, which somehow happened from Becton. And we need to see the Jets get it going here. Uh, they had seven points before garbage time in three and a half quarters. That is not going to cut it. Yes, I understand. It's a rookie quarterback, a first-time play caller, a rookie head coach. Carolina's not that good, and there was never a doubt Carolina was going to win that game. Uh, I think the Jets are going to be pretty rough. I think their ceiling is four or five wins. Uh, Based on what I saw yesterday, they might be worse than that, to be completely honest with you. I mean, they opened up as three-and-a-half-point underdogs to New England at home so on a neutral field they'd be six and a half point underdogs to New England who didn't look great so that gives you a barometer of where the market thinks the Jets are in terms of value and the last game to talk about Jacksonville and Houston good on David Culley getting his guys ready to play uh they looked pretty comfortable Jacksonville never really had a chance in that game the final score 37 21 is a lot closer than the game actually felt Jacksonville could not move the ball on offense. Trevor Lawrence was constantly under duress. And on offense, Houston did some nice things. Brandon Cooks was getting open. They were able to hit Daniel Fells. They were able to hit the other tight end who's always floating around. I think his last name is Arnold. Houston looked pretty good. David Johnson scored a pair of touchdowns. Houston's probably only going to win three games all year, but... If that's all Urban Meyer and Jacksonville's got, he might as well just go take the USC job at the end of the season because that was a pitiful performance for a team that has talent. That's a team that has multiple first-round picks on the offense and defense. It's got several talented wide receivers, LaVisca Chenault, Marvin Jones, DJ Chark. That's three really good NFL wide receivers, all solid NFL wide receivers. You got James Robinson, who was a 1,000-yard rusher last year, and Jacksonville was putrid and yeah I understand it's more so because of Daryl Bevel and I'm not going to give Trevor Lawrence shit for this because it was his first game on a bad team with a bad coaching staff but man it's going to be a long season in Jacksonville I I I talked about this with one of my friends we were going back and forth about who we think the worst teams in the league are going to be I settled on Detroit Houston and I think Jacksonville And pretty much everybody's in agreement Jacksonville is going to be bad because the defense is lost and Lawrence is working with coaches who coach football like it's 2013, so the chances he has to succeed are going to be a lot slimmer. Looking ahead, the lines for next Sunday are very out of whack. If you didn't catch Friday's episode last week, I made a point of talking about how important it is to get the lines as early as possible in the week because the most value is there because money has not come in yet to move the lines. The lines are kind of out of whack going this early in the season. Underdogs were 11-4 and against the spread going into Monday Night Football. The Raiders, I believe, yeah, the Raiders were four-and-a-half-point underdogs, and they are trailing by a touchdown at the time of this recording. But... There are some big, big numbers out there. Uh, Washington football team, three-and-a-half-point favorites with Taylor Heineke on Thursday night. Uh, That one's weird. 
Pittsburgh, who, you know, scored all of 23 points, is six and a half point favorites. 49ers, three and a half point favorites on the road at Philadelphia. The Browns, 12 and a half point favorites. Denver, six point favorites over Jacksonville. New Orleans, uh, three point favorites over Carolina. The Rams, seven point favorites on the road at Indianapolis. Buffalo, three point favorites on the road after only scoring 16 points. New England, three and a half point favorites at the Jets. Chicago, three and a half point favorites against the Bengals, who won. Buccaneers 12 and a half against Atlanta. Minnesota, Arizona. Arizona getting three and a half at home. Giving three and a half at home. Not getting. I should be I should be clear. Seattle, five and a half, getting Tennessee. The Chargers getting two and a half with excuse me. The Chargers giving two and a half to Dallas. The Chiefs, two and a half point favorites at Baltimore, and then the Packers, 11.5-point favorites on Monday Night Football hosting the Lions. Looking at the board, there's not a ton I like because I don't have any feel yet. That's one of the important things I'll keep stressing anytime I talk about gambling on the show. If you don't feel anything, you don't have to bet. You do not have to bet. Before I get everyone out of here, uh, going to be intermediate with the show depending on how things go the rest of this week going to the met game on tuesday i will record an episode before i leave on tuesday so there's something for wednesday i will attempt to record something wednesday for thursday and then i should have time on thursday to record for friday but no guarantee about friday so if there isn't one for friday the gambling stuff will be on thursday next week we got guests booked we'll have some fun talking football we'll touch on some other things i didn't get a chance to talk about either of the races i didn't really do my homework for college football because i just wasn't watching it so i didn't want to pretend i did um we're getting there folks we're in the swing of things football is rolling it's going to take another week or two before we had a good idea of who's actually good or not but for now we'll have some fun i will see you guys tomorrow have a good one